two, and I, I still want to uh, do a message on angels, uh, but that is going to have to wait. I need more time, and so I'm, I'm buying another week here. And so I hope you'll let me give you instead tonight, I decided to do an addendum to the morning message, which was on common grace through the study of Jeroboam II in 2 Kings 14. And tonight I'd like to speak on the other side of that seesaw, maybe as we emphasized this morning, the doctrine of common grace and the need to be humble and to submit ourselves to the wisdom uh, of even sometimes non-believers that God gives in his common grace. Now I want to talk tonight about watching out that we not be conformed to the world. And so we're going to put a little bit of caution uh, on what I preached this morning and put the weight on the other end that we also be careful that we do not end up being conformed to this world. So let's pray together and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the inerrant and infallible word and that your spirit has given it to us and by your providence has preserved it for us so that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, for the help of your spirit in the lesson tonight. We thank you for another opportunity to eat abundantly of the scriptures. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to keep your Bible handy, too. There will be a little bit of a sword drill in uh, tonight's lesson. We're going to look at um, at least uh, four other passages, I think, tonight, in addition to this one in Romans. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The New American Standard reads, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then the emphasis will be on verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So tonight I want to, in three parts, consider especially verse 2, but a little bit of verse 1. Number 1, be not conformed to the world. Be not conformed to the world. Number 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then number uh, 3, point number 3 will come from verse 2 as well, the outworking of this renewal. What is the outworking of this renewal? So let's look together here at uh, this verse. Now you'll note here in verse 1 that we are to um, first consider God's grace. He says here, before you get to the exhortation, which is found in verse 2, you have to deal with the indicative that sets the table for the exhortation. So first we have the statement of the gospel, and then based on the gospel, you have the imperative. You Kids know the difference between the indicative and the imperative yet? Okay, the indicative is a statement of fact, okay? Your mother says your room is a mess, okay? That's a fact, factual statement. Your room is a mess. Then your mother says clean your room. That is an imperative, okay? That means you are under obligation now morally 
to do what your mother has said and to go clean that room. So the Apostle Paul is doing something very similar here. He's giving us first the indicative uh, in view of the mercies of God, in view of the grace of God, in view of Jesus Christ, the Son of God coming to the world, becoming a man and dying for our sins, being raised according to the scriptures on the third day. He says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship here. So the idea here is that in view of the gospel, there is to be a total consecration of ourselves to God. We are to be laid upon, if you will, the altar of God as a living sacrifice. And then we come now to the part that I want to emphasize tonight. And that is that we not be conformed to the world. That is, be not like this world or be not like this age. Your translation may use the word age, which is a, that's a, a very acceptable translation of that Greek word as well. Now, why are we here in verse 2 not to be conformed to this world or to this age? Well, because the world, this age, this present evil age is sinful and in rebellion against God. Now, we saw this morning how God does indeed give common grace to those in rebellion against him. And we should appreciate and thank the Lord for that gift of God's common grace to our neighbors. Makes life easier, okay? When, when you're, even if they're non-believers, if they agree in general principles on parenting, uh, that makes it easier on you as Christian parents, right? Uh, when, you know, they, they are in agreement with you that lying is wrong and uh, needs to be dealt with or cheating or vandalizing your mailbox, uh, th that is helpful. And um, we probably all have experienced times where you wish parents had more of that. Um, I, can remember, I can't tell you how many times my, van my old mailbox was vandalized. Anyway, not getting there. Anyway, so... Um, it is a blessing, but nevertheless, God is going to judge this present age and this world. And so Paul here is saying, do not pattern your life after the values, the priorities, the thinking, the speech, the use of time, the use of money, the way that the world does. That our life is to be distinct. We are a fragrant aroma of life to the world. Uh, we are a fragrant aroma of the gospel. We are a sacrifice that is a sweet-smelling sacrifice. So the life of completing total consecration to God is to be enhanced as we remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, now, we remember the mercies of God here. First of all, we begin with God in all things, including our salvation. So we must always, boys and girls, always, whenever we want to obey an imperative, obey a commandment, we always must do so after we settle on salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Paul here is very clear that our obedience to the Lord is to be an, an evangelical obedience. It is a responsive uh, act apart, I mean, from what God has done for us. We respond to his grace. It's not 
any merit within ourselves. We're not trying to earn God's favor by being living sacrifices. We're not trying to earn our position as children of God by way of uh, obedience to his commandments, but rather we are receiving our position in Jesus Christ by faith and out of that, working out a life of, that is pleasing to God. Remember that this is where the Jews, Paul says in the book of Romans elsewhere, that the Jews stumbled at this very point because they were seeking a salvation based on their works. They had turned the gospel into a system of works and they were stumbling at that very point. And that therefore Paul says it was then the gospel came to those who weren't looking for salvation. That is that the, the Gentiles found salvation and the Jews who supposedly were seeking it stumbled over it, the gospel. The gospel became a stumbling stone to them. Because why? Well, because they were seeking it by way of works. So you are not trying to be a living sacrifice in order to earn favor with God. You are to trust in Jesus Christ for the favor that you have from God. And then from that position as a child of God, adopted, justified, etc., we seek to live out this exhortation. So uh, always put the gospel first and then the evangelical obedience in the train of that gospel. Now, let's look here at this exhortation more closely. Be not conformed to the world. Or it could be translated, be not fashioned according to this world. And as I said, world could be translated as age. Now, James Montgomery Boyce, the longtime pastor of uh, 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia for much of the 20th century, latter 20th century. He says this, um, it is to repudiate the world's worldview, to repudiate the world's worldview. He says, be not a secularist in your worldview, to think only in terms of this life, Boyce says. Uh, but rather, <clears throat> he says, do not be conformed to this world or age in contrast, that is, to the age to come. Paul does this in several places in the New Testament where he pits this present age with the age that is to come. And so Paul here is saying, you are to be living out the grace within you. Because why? Because the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit within you, you realize, is the beginning of, of the age to come. The future glory of the world that is to come is already at work within you by way of regeneration. And so Paul is saying here, we ought to work out of that new nature because that is the way that we are led to glory. So, but when we conform ourselves to this age, that is to be wrapped up in the things that are temporal, to have all our thoughts oriented to that which is seen and temporal. John Murray, listen to John Murray, the great systematic theologian says this, he says that this world, it is the temporal and the transient age. The temporal and the transient age, meaning it's passing away, boys and girls. It's brief and it's passing away. Murray goes on, he says, conformity to this age is to be wrapped up in things that are temporal. 
to have all our thought oriented to that which is seen and temporal. And then Murray goes, he says, if all our calculations, plans, ambitions are determined by what falls within life here, then he says, we are children <coughs> of this age. If all our plans, ambitions are determined by what falls within life here, then what, then we are children of this age. And so, you know, we ought to pause here, I think, and ask ourselves, therefore, what are we thinking about? What are we planning? What are our ambitions here in this life? Now, I said I would um, look at some other verses with you. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 18. This idea of not being conformed to the present age is not just a New Testament idea, but in Leviticus 18, we see that even in the age of, in the days of Moses, the people of God were to learn this lesson. In Leviticus chapter 18, I'll begin reading at verse 1, but my emphasis will be on verse 3. Leviticus 18, 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. So notice there, again, the Lord begins with what? With himself, with the gospel. And, and you know, a lot of Christians mistakenly think the Old Testament, you were saved by works. You know, you're saved by works. And then the New Testament, you're saved by grace. That's not the teaching at all here of Moses. Moses is, is teaching, you know, you were the least of people, and I chose you and made you my people. Now, in fact, in the light of the fact that I've made you my people and I brought you out of Egypt, you know, obey me. But anyway, he says, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, all right, so here's the preface. I am the Lord your God. And then verse 3, you shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt, where you lived, where you once lived. You shall not do what was done in the land of Egypt. Do not be conformed to the Egyptians, right? Nor are you to do what was done in the land of Canaan. Why? why? Well, because God, remember, God is displacing those nations, those seven nations, because why? Because of their disobedience to God, their sin. Remember, God wasn't going to allow the Israelites into that land until the full measure of the Canaanites' sin had come up to him. Once it has come up to him in its full measure, then God was going to bring that holy judgment against them. So he says, don't be conformed to what was done in Egypt. Don't be conformed to what was done in Canaan, where I'm bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. Verse 4, you are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes to live in accord with them. I am the Lord your God. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. So don't be conformed to Egypt out of which I brought you. Don't be conformed to Canaan. Now look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And just a couple verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now remember, this is the uh, missionary work of Paul to this uh, congregation, seaport congregation in Greece. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. And the Apostle Paul, let's just look at verse 5. He says, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So again, he starts on the, with the gospel. Your faith is built on the free grace of God through the word of God. And then verse 6. He says, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, now listen to this, however, not of this age. 
We speak a wisdom, however, not of this age or of this world, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. What's Paul saying? His preaching, his teaching is of the wisdom of God, the power of God and the salvation. And then look at verse 7. He says, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom of which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So notice here, while we this morning emphasize that God can use wicked men for good by God's common grace, nevertheless, he said what? We are not to conform ourselves to the wisdom of this age, but we are to look to the scriptures, to the word of God uh, for our wisdom. Now look at uh, Galatians, just a couple books over. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4. Galatians 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. Galatians 1, 4. The Apostle Paul says, starting in verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of of our God and Father. So the gospel, Jesus Christ came into the world to what? Rescue us from this world. Don't be conformed to this world. This is from which God has rescued you through Jesus Christ. And then in the epistle of John, 1 John, 1 John and uh, chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, uh, 2 and verse 17, 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. John here, the Apostle John says, The world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. This world, which is against the Lord, against the gospel, is passing away. Don't be conformed that which is temporary and which is under the judgment of God. God is going to judge the world, and therefore God will judge all the worldly. Now again, uh, from James Montgomery Boyce's commentary, Boyce cites uh, four areas uh, or philosophies that are common, that you and I face on a daily basis as people who live in this world. Now I'll give you these four. Number one is secularism. And I'll explain each of these in a minute. Secularism, number one, that you and your family will, will find on a regular basis you're confronted with. Don't be conformed to secularism. Number two, humanism. Humanism. Number three, relativism. Relativism. And then number four, materialism. Secularism, humanism, relativism, and materialism. Boyce points out these four are particularly problematic for us. Now, what are these? Number one, secularism. Secularism is the philosophy that this age is all that there is. Okay, so they wouldn't even agree with the apostle that there is another age to come. They believe that all there is is this present life. And then after that, that's it. Um, some of you may remember, those of you who are old enough, you know, back in the 70s, maybe early 80s, you remember Cosmos, the, the PBS show with Carl Sagan, and 
Carl Sagan is looking out into space and all the stars and, you know, Carl Sagan saying, you know, this is all that there is. Um, and that, that would be kind of secularism. What matters is now. Everything um, is evaluated by the, this present moment. So that would be secularism. Humanism, secondly, is the deification of man. Deification of man. Now we see this. I mean, you just you know get on TikTok and you <laughs> can see the deification of man. Everything of man, by man, for man. Nebuchadnezzar that I spoke of, you know, this morning, Daniel chapter four, where Nebuchadnezzar says, "Hey, look how great I am! Look what I've built! Aren't I super?" Okay, that is really out there for our young people. You know, you are super, and you do you. You know, and and. You know, you do you, and you you make these videos and put them out there uh, of you doing you. So humanism tends to elevate man as the measure of all things. Man is everything. Man is the center. Man is deified, and God is not. So that's humanism. Uh, now, there is a sense, let me put an asterisk there. There is a sense that sometimes the word humanism can be used in a good sense. Here I'm using it as a, a philosophy that is anti-Christian, okay? Just so you know that, there, there, that you, in some quarters, uh, humanism should not always be understood as a bad thing. But here I'm talking about philosophies, out outlooks on life. Number three, relativism. Um, that is where there are no absolute truths, okay? Everything is relative. Truth is relative. It's You'll, you'll hear people say, your truth. Well, that's your truth. I have my truth. You have your truth. Um, when you, whenever you hear that, that, that is the philosophy of relativism. Um, truth, goodness, beauty, these all become impossibilities uh, in, a, in a relativistic world. And then the last one we're also very familiar with, especially here in the United States, uh, materialism, health, Wealth, happiness. Health, wealth, and happiness. Boyce uh, quotes here from T.S. Eliot. Here were decent, godless people. Their only monument, the asphalt road and 1,000 lost golf balls. <laughs> so the idea here that everything is to be found uh, only in uh, our own personal prosperity. Now, <coughs> so, getting back to our text here. Our text says, Do not be conformed to this world or this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may, be, may, that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So, therefore, Paul is saying here that the Christian must not pattern their redeemed life in Jesus Christ to the values that are inherently anti-Christian. Our lives are to exhibit holy patterns characteristic with the age to come, says John Murray. So that is, you are living your best life now, in a sense, in that your best life is the future. <laughs> Does that make sense? You are supposed to be living out of that eschatological reality of the age that is to come. We are patterning our life after that world of glory, the world 
of love. And so we are not to be conformed to the motives of the world, the values of the world, the priorities of the world, the lusts of the world. Do not be conformed to the world's use of time, the world's use of money, the world's speech, the world's thinking. Now, again, God does give here and there common grace, blessing, insight, and we should be thankful for that. But it's one thing to appreciate, for example, Bill Gates and the work he has done in software. It's another thing then to adopt Bill Gates as your guru of what the meaning of life is. Does that make sense? That's what the Apostle Paul, I think, is trying to strike here by way of balance. That we appreciate the gifts that God has given such men who are useful to our lives and have produced things that are useful for us. But that, just because you're successful in business, just because you're successful in sports or some other area of life, doesn't mean that you, therefore, know what the absolute meaning of life is all about. And usually they're wrong. <laughs> and they're, they're building lives upon what Jesus said was but sinking sand. And once the day of judgment, the storm of the judgment to come falls upon the house, the house is going to collapse. Now, one of the difficulties that we have as Christians is to um, search ourselves and examine ourselves. This is why if I, the uh, history major, can uh, maybe even um, promote history, one of the reasons you probably should read old books is because one of the things old books does very well is it challenges a lot of the assumptions of your the age in which you are presently living. Now, yes, they had their own issues in their age, but I think one reason to read you know widely in terms of chronology, at least, is so that um, you you can see maybe your own blind spots as a culture uh, more readily. We are to examine our lives to see where we find patterns of worldly conformity. Um, we need to resolve to break from that worldliness. <clears throat> One of the ways in which we do this is meditation upon the life of Christ. Um, that we seek to look to Jesus Christ as our, our supreme example. Now, there, of course, were things about Jesus' ministry that were unique, his life that are obviously going to be unique to him um, and that cannot be duplicated. But nevertheless, Christ sets the pattern for us in living in this uh, present evil age. Now, I want us to look at the second part here, and I'm going to move more quickly in these next two parts. This was my longest one, was no, point number one. But let's look at the being transformed by the renewing of your mind, because this seems to be the, the road by which we are not conformed to this world, but transformed, he said, by the renewing of your mind. So I think it's important that we think about what this means, the, the, the renewing of our mind. Again, if I can quote again James Boyce, uh, Boyce argues that there has been the loss of the Christian mind. And uh, he says, you know, we, we are familiar with the Christian ethic, Christian piety, but have maybe lost the sense that there is to be a Christian mind. Now, sanctification involves a negative, that is a mortification of sin by denying our simple impulses to conform to rebellious humanity. But 
Paul here seems to be emphasizing also the positive use of the means of grace to recalibrate our lives and our outlook towards a total consecration to God. That is, sanctification is both positive and negative. Negative, put off the old man. Put to death the, the old man. You've been crucified with Christ. Shall we continue in sin? Romans chapter 6. May it never be. You have died with Christ. You have been raised to the newness of life. So the, there is the putting off, putting to death that sin uh, that so easily entangles. But there's also not just the negative aspect of sanctification, but the positive. And that comes by way of recalibrating our thinking. A positive use of the means of grace so that we enable ourselves by God's grace to live out that consecrated life as a living sacrifice. The word transformed here, our text uh, says, be not conformed to this world, but transformed. The word transform is the same verb in the Greek used by both Matthew and Mark in their Gospels for the transfiguration of Jesus. Think about that. You think how Jesus um, went from the, if you will, the hidden majesty to the glory that Peter, James, and John saw on the mountaintop. And so the Christian is to be transformed or transfigured. That is found in John Stott's commentary. Now, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and, and verse 18. Let me just turn your attention there for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. <clears throat> Paul says this, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So he says that we, as regenerated, sanctified people, we are growing in grace, being transformed into the very likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how does this transformation take place? Well, Paul says, through the renewing of your mind. How does God renew your mind? He renews your mind, Paul says, by the Spirit. And how does the Spirit renew your mind? The Spirit operates through the Scriptures. The Spirit regenerates. Faith comes by hearing and that of the Word. He regenerates the, the soul. He uh, brings illumination to the mind. He uses the Scriptures, which is the very revealed will of God for us. And through that means... We are renewed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we grow in grace. So the, I think the application implication is probably self-evident here, that, that if you want to be transformed in the renewing of your mind, know the scriptures. You know, um, children, there are Christians who would give anything to have a Bible in the world. They don't have a Bible. They... they um, some of them are waiting for a Bible in their own language to be finished. Um, so you who have Bibles, plenty, in your own language, need to really appreciate what God's given you. Don't let those Bibles testify against you. Um, 
I, I don't want to be, well, I'll, I'll, give, I'll tell you, I'll nail it, but I, I heard a, a story of a Christian in China, and he was um, put in basically a concentration camp for his faith. And, but, um, shall we say, he found some scriptures in the latrine and went to great extraordinary effort to retrieve those copies of the scriptures. The communists were using the pages of the Bible for um, cleaning themselves. And this man would go to the extent of retrieving uh, those used pages because he, he wanted the, the Bible so badly where he was. Um, it, when you hear that, it really um, it humbles you, doesn't it? That uh, you think, oh Lord, forgive me. I mean, how many days did I not read my Bible? You know? Um, and then you hear something like that. <clears throat> Paul says this is, this is how the mind is, is transformed. It's through the, the reading and hearing, the preaching and teaching of God's, God's word. I mean, how many churches tonight, you know, what are we, less than 50% of our morning attendance here? I mean, and I know some are providentially hindered, but come on, folks. You know, and, and you know, how many churches don't even have the lights on tonight? huge sanctuaries in the state of Georgia that, that are sitting dark tonight. Let me quote here John Murray, The Outworking of the Renewal. John Murray uh, says this, and I've, I'm going to quote you Murray several times here in a row, and I'm going to close here. Murray uh, says, It is to discover to find out or learn how to how approved the will of God is. It is a will that will never fail or be found wanting. Now listen to this. This is really, I think, insightful. John Murray makes this, and I think this is a very applicatory point. He says, if life is aimless, stagnant, fruitless, lacking in content, he says, it is because we are not entering by experience into the richness of God's will. I'll read that again. If life is aimless, stagnant, fruitless, lacking in content, it is because we are not entering by experience into the richness of God's will. And then from his commentary again, same commentary in Romans, he says this, quote, There is not a moment of life that the will of God does not command. No circumstance that it does not fill with meaning if we are responsive to the fullness of his revealed counsel for us. You know, how many of our friends and our neighbors are, are living lives of desperate futility and filling them up with all kinds of stuff thinking this will be the answer for my life? And yet it doesn't work, does it? One more uh, from Murray here. One more paragraph. Murray says, The will of God is the revealed will of God. That's important for us to understand. 
okay? Because a lot of people have some goofy notions about what the will of God is. And Murray makes it clear. Boys and girls, here's the will of God for your life. Right here. This is God's will for your life. Okay? Um, the will of God is the revealed will of God. Now, God may have a will for you, you know, that it's secret, but the secret things belong to God. Okay? This is what you've been given. Everything else is up. That's for God to know. None of your business, God says. So the will of God is the revealed will of God. The idea is that the will of God is the good, acceptable, and perfect. This will of God is found in the law of God, which is holy, just, and good. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. The will of God, also the law of God, says Murray, is the transcript of God's perfection and is the perfect reflection of his holiness, justice, and his goodness. Thus, God's will for you in this life is the same. Now listen to this. Thus, God's will for you in this life is the same as it is for you in the life to come. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you, Lord, for your word, and thank you for the gospel and for the exhortation not to be conformed to this world. Now, Lord, we pray, give us grace. Help us to study the scriptures. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to close by singing uh, 160 in the hymnal, please. 160. We'll stand together as we sing. 160. 160.